I find so amazing about him, and, and if you're taking notes, you may just jot this down. One of the things about Joshua is that his, old te- his name in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is the equivalent to Jesus' name in the New Testament. They both mean God is salvation. So Joshua's name is the Old Testament equivalent of the name Jesus. That's a pretty great thing. Especially when you consider his name, which is the theme of his life, is that God is salvation. Now, even though I was going to preach a whole bunch of the messages about varying issues in his life, I do want you to take, take note of these three things that are up there. There are three points in his life, there are many points, but these three really speak to the character of the man. And even though I'm not going to be preaching on these, you may jot those down if you can see them, um, because they're really good reference points to get to know the man that we're going to be speaking about and his God. First, you see, he was separated from sin. That happened when all of uh, the Israelites were down worshiping the golden calf. Joshua was up serving Moses, separated from the idolatry that was going on down below at the base of the mountain. Secondly, you'll see he was a worshiper. As they would, Moses and he would go into the tabernacle and worship. In, that, in, Ma- in Exodus 33, it says that when Moses left, Joshua stayed there in the tabernacle and worship. And the third thing is you'll see is a chosen leader. Numbers chapter 27 um, is God's declaration to Moses that I want you to set Joshua apart for the purpose of being your successor. But this morning, this morning, I want you to open with me to Exodus chapter 17, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 17, Genesis and then Exodus. And while you're opening to Exodus 17, let me just tell you that, uh, give you a little bit of a history account of where they're at. God has now brought His people out of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh's army has been decimated by the Red Sea. They're all swimming down at the bottom. The Israelites have already miraculously crossed over the Red Sea. And now this is very early on in their journey. They have just come across the Red Sea. They're already starting to murmur. They were hungry. They were thirsty, and that's what's taking place in Exodus chapter 17. The people are coming to Moses saying, hey, we're thirsty. Has God brought us out here to die, Exodus chapter 17 says? So Moses calls out to God, and God tells him to go over and strike the rock, and water will come from the rock. God once again proves his faithfulness to his people to accomplish what he told them he was going to do. Isn't it great that we read over the account of the Israelites? And we see time and time again that God proved Himself faithful. But we remember in those Scriptures how limited their memory was. That even though God was incredibly faithful and miraculously provided for them, they would often forget. And and sometimes only moments would pass and their memory would fade. You see, I don't find that just as a problem with the Israelites. I find it a problem with me. I also sometimes forget God's faithfulness. His miraculous provision in my life. Sometimes it does us good to stand and and to turn back and to look back over and recount our life and to look for God's blessings. I do believe hindsight is always 20-20. We may not have the faith to see what is coming, but we do have the vision, hopefully, and the love to be able to look back and to say, God, You were with me all the way. God, You provided for me. You walked with me. You fought for me. You fed me. You gave me everything I needed in your son, Jesus. In chapter 17, verse 8. 
The Scripture says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But when Moses' hands became heavy, so that they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated or overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or the Lord is my rallying point. For he had said, Because the Lord is sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You might be able to relate to this. As this large multitude of people now experiencing freedom from out from under the hand of captivity in Egypt, and now they're traveling as slaves led by Moses, who is led by God, early on in their journey, they are hungry and they're thirsty. They're weary and they're tired. And Deuteronomy tells us something. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy gives us a little bit of commentary in regards to what's going on and why it angered God so much. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 18, that Amalek did not just come who were descendants of Esau. They did not just come and fight them. The Bible said that they came to them in a moment when they were weary and tired snuck up from behind them and attacked them from their rear flanks. Guys, that's not fair fighting. So these enemies that that were doing battle with God's people, they weren't just out fighting. They were out playing not fair. They, They weren't playing by the rules. They didn't meet them head on. They didn't draw the battle lines. They waited until Israel was tired and weary and, and, and angry and upset. They waited until they were at their lowest point and then they sneak around to the back of them and attack them from their rear flanks. Have you ever felt like that was happening to you? Have you ever felt like that moment in your life where you're going through life, you're struggling, things are difficult, you're weary physically, spiritually, emotionally, and all of a sudden it feels like from a direction you never saw it coming, here comes life. Here comes trouble. Here comes the enemy. And nails you from the back. Nobody likes fighting from behind. And God, and this angered God greatly. And he tells Moses and he tells Joshua that I will utterly wipe out these people. I will totally obliterate them and all that will be left of them is a memory because it's included in the book. God was angry at that. First battle 
first battle. Surprise attack. Everybody's caught off guard. And what does Moses do? He turns to Joshua, the son of Nun, and tells him something very simple. Go down and fight with Amalek. Choose some men and go down there. And tomorrow I will stand on the hill with the rod of God in my hand. That's what Moses told Joshua. Don't run. Don't don't turn and try to find an exit strategy. Moses turns to Joshua and says, get you some men and go down there and fight with them. Now think about this for a minute. This tells us something about Joshua. I know that Exodus 17 says his name but once or twice. I know there's not much of a description given of Joshua. But I've realized that great people don't need many words to describe them. I know that great events don't need many words in order to describe them. And such is the case in Joshua's life. You know what that tells me about Joshua? Here's this surprise attack. No doubt people are taken off guard. They're scared. They're frightened. They're already weary. And now it just seems like things can't get any worse. And there's had to be some bit of chaos in the camp. And Moses turns to somebody whom I believe, and this is the first thing, I believe Joshua was trustworthy. Think about this. If you're Moses, all of a sudden you're getting attacked from the back. All of a sudden you're moving across the desert and now you're, you're engaged in a fight in which the Israelites had never been engaged in a fight before. Moses turned to somebody he could trust. This is the first account that we get the name of the we get we get an idea of the man whose name is God is salvation. And Moses turns to him. Let me tell you something. It is a great thing. It is a great thing as a leader to be able to turn to somebody in a moment that you need them and say, I need you to do this and know and know that it's going to be done. He was faithful. He was trustworthy. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Moses' faith. I'm definitely not taking anything away from how Moses perceived God. But let me remind you, this is a big event in Israel's history. And Moses turned to somebody whom he believed would do the job. Now you see, here's something funny about Joshua. In order for him to be trustworthy, I don't believe that there's no description that Moses was casting lots or, or that Moses was throwing out a fleece. It seems like a pretty quick decision. The need was there. Moses turns to Joshua and says, go get you some people and get it done. And this tells me that Joshua had proven himself trustworthy to Moses before. You see, even though there's not a description of him before Exodus 17, I believe that Moses had seen in Joshua faithfulness. I believe that Moses had seen in Joshua a man that was capable of getting the job done, whatever it was. Joshua made himself faithful before the big stage ever arose. You see, that's what we find in some of the people of God. We see Abraham showing his faith before the big moment ever arose. We see David putting his faith and trust in God to deliver the the lamb out of the mouth of the lion and the bear before he ever rose to the stage with the great giant from Gath. What we find is that great leaders are not born, they are formed. What we find is that great men and women of God are not automatically thrown up onto the stage of greatness. They travel and exercise their faith and through other smaller moments, they then prepare themselves to rise to the occasion. 
we as men often think that if a giant comes our way, we'll defeat him. But the truth of the matter is, we, we show our faithfulness and trustworthiness often through the many little battles that we gain victory over as we prepare to rise to whatever grand stage. Whatever grand stage, whatever great opportunity, whatever great responsibility the Lord may throw as a mantle on our shoulders, we've come prepared. He was known by Moses. Obviously, Joshua was a man who knew others. He knew he was well connected with the people because if he's going to choose men who are going to represent God's people down in a battle, obviously he had to know who the best fighters were. He wasn't just known to Moses. He knew those people around him. What I have found is that trustworthy people also know other trustworthy people. Trustworthy people seem to be able to make that great connection. Another thing that, that I love was that Joshua was courageous. Not only was he trustworthy, man, there's a, there's a pretty good boldness in this kid. I've often said that when, you know, you've heard it said when life throws you lemons, gives you lemons, make lemonade. I really believe that Joshua was of the persuasion that if life gives you lemons, you go cut the tree down and burn it and then ask God to make a fig tree. That's really how I believe Joshua would have handled the whole when life gives you lemons situation. But in this story, what had Joshua been doing all his life? He was a slave. Now, there's some commentators that suggest that Joshua may have commanded at some point Pharaoh's army. I don't know. There's no biblical evidence of that. But all I know is that previous to this, Joshua was a slave, and now he's commanding men who had also been slaves for 400 plus years. Generation after generation, Joshua was going out commanding a bunch of brickmakers. He's commanding a bunch of men who had previously been slaves, and now Joshua is going up against, look at the enemy. Not just the guys he has with him. Think about the enemy. Obviously, these slaves probably didn't have the best weapons. These slaves obviously didn't have the great experience that their enemy did. And remember this. They're also playing on their enemy's home turf. As Israel passes through Amalek's ground, they hide and wait and sneak back. No doubt, the enemies of God's people, the Amalekites, knew that ground, that territory, better than anybody else. Joshua is willing to take a ragtag group of brickmakers lead them out into the field of battle. And I don't mean any disrespect when I say ragtag. That's in comparison to the Amalekites. These fighting men. He is willing to go down into that valley and to stand there with a group of brick makers and stand there in the name of God and to stand there battling on their home turf. It's almost like the Oklahoma City Thunder playing against the Lakers. Wait, that's a bad example. Because the Thunder were the underdogs. Like them playing the Mavericks. Well, that's still a bad example. The Spurs. Alright, I'll move on. I'm surprised you didn't amen. That was your people. Will you amen again? Alright. He was courageous. He was bold. He was, will- he was trustworthy. Notice this second point. 
He was willing to be in the valley. Willing to be in the valley. What do I mean by that? Guys, if you were tapped on the shoulder and, you, and Moses said to you, I want you to go find some men, go down into the valley and fight those guys. I probably, if I'm going to be honest, I probably would have rather said, Moses, how about this? How about you go down there and I'll stand up on the hill with the rod of God in my hand? Or how about this? Moses, you stay up there. I'll get my best buddy to go down there and uh, then I'll stand up and hold your arm up. Yeah, I'll stand up there with you on top of the mountain. Let me tell you, it was a whole lot more fun, I'm sure, being Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms than being down in the valley fighting with an army of bricklayers against the Amalekites. And you know, the great thing about Joshua is that when Moses said, go fight, he did. And you know who the victory is attributed to? There are two people the victory is attributed to. One is God. God is always the author of victory. God always leads his people in triumph. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In any scenario, God is the ultimate one who gives us the victory. But did you notice what the scripture said? Verse 13, so Joshua defeated, overwhelmed Amalek with the edge of the sword. What did he know? What did Joshua know? Two things. He knew what to do, and it was to fight with Amalek. But he knew something else. He knew where to look. You see, when Moses tells him, go down there and fight, Moses then tells him, tomorrow I'm going up on the mountain and I will have the rod of God in my hand. That is the same rod that was turned into a serpent. That was the same rod that was attributed or that was given as a sign of God's ability to get them out of Egypt. That is the same rod that stood there and was used by God to part the Red Sea. When Moses is saying, I will stand on the mountain with the rod of God in my hand, I believe he was telling Joshua, you go down there and fight you keep one eye on your enemy and one eye on the mountain and you will see that i am praying with the rod of god in my hand in our battles of life it is important that we keep our eyes on the enemy and that we are doing battle spiritual battle with the enemy that we are engaged in that spiritual warfare but it is not good for us to take our eyes off of our leader Jesus Christ it is never never good for us to do battle separated from his provision his promises and his power and presence and i believe as Joshua's fighting going at it He's, he's taking that sword and he's going all around and he's defeating him. And I believe he's looking up and seeing this miraculous thing as God is teaching them dependence on him. As he sees Moses' hands begin to drop, the army begins to lose. As Moses would raise his arms up, which I believe was the significance of prayer, showing his devotion and relationship to God and calling out on God with the rod of God in his hand, God blessed. Again, God is showing them the dependence on them. He knew what to do and where to look. 
When the battles of life come, it's always important that we know what to do, and that's to fight. And where to look. Look up on the hill. I will lift my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the Scripture says. He was willing to take a lesser, difficult role. How many of us would much rather be up on top of the mountain rather than being down in the valley fighting? You see, it leads us to our third point is that he was victorious. His victory helped the whole group. He played just a part in the whole victory. No doubt Moses being up on the mountain praying, interceding for the battle to God was vital, crucial. No doubt Aaron and her supporting his hands, seeing the significance of the raised hands as God is teaching them to depend on Him. No doubt they played a vital role also in the war. But the war was still won at the edge of the sword and that is laid at the feet of Joshua for his courage, his faithfulness as a part of what God was doing. His victory, His victory helped everybody else. You know what? Joshua's victory didn't just help the entire body of the Israelites. I believe Joshua's victory helps us. I believe Joshua's victory reminds us that when life throws us a curve, when the enemy attacks our rear flanks, I believe that we have the privilege to be able to say, God, I may be outnumbered, I may be outmanned, but I am not outpowered. Because I have my God. All the world may rise against me, but no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That in the midst of battle, that we would know what to do, and that's to fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. And that we would always know where to look to keep our eyes fixed on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. His victory also, I believe, warns the enemies of God's will. You see, the next time someone's going to attack Israel, they need to remember who their real commander is. See, the people will hear that the God of the Israelites saves not by the strength of the horse or the size, the multitude of the army. That it is the Lord's right arm that saves. When I look at the Scriptures, what I find is that God has never been concerned with our abilities. He's the one that gives strengths. He's the one that gifts. He's the one that gives abilities. God's never been concerned with our ability. He's always been concerned with our availability. And that's what we find with Joshua. Running down into the valley to meet a skilled army with a group of slaves. And had it been only a group of slaves, they would have lost, it would have been awful, but Joshua had God on his side. Or let me say this, Joshua was on God's side. In our life, <coughs> in our life, 
What victories are we gaining? In life, let's ask ourselves a really important question. What battles are we fighting? Because for the life of the believer, there are always spiritual battles. There's always a battle against sin. There's always a battle against the forces of darkness. There's always a battle against our enemy and his forces. There's always spiritual battle. And I believe that if we are not battling, if we're not engaging in spiritual warfare, it's not because there's not a battle to fight. It's because we haven't showed up to the battlefield. In our life, who are we going to be? Do we long to be that person up on the mountaintop? Or are we willing to be, as Jesus said, great by serving? Are we willing to do whatever it takes in order to secure victory in the things of God? Are we willing to go out courageously? Verse 15 says, or verse 14 says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book. God didn't want anybody to forget this. Didn't want Joshua to forget this moment. And verse 15, And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. The book and the altar. The book and the altar. Meditation and worship. Let me ask you a question this morning. Whose side are you on? Have you been battling against the will of God? Are you participating in the will of God? Would you consider yourself this morning to be trustworthy, faithful? I want to ask you a really simple question. Right now in your life, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been going through life on your own? Separated from His promises, His power, His presence, His provision. See, life throws us many things. The enemy seeks to destroy us. The enemy doesn't want us to hear the truth, and if we hear the truth, he doesn't want us to believe it, and if we believe it, he doesn't want us to act on it. Where do we stand today? Because as you're going through battles and, and struggles and difficulties in life, I know that we are faced with that decision. How am I ever going to get through this? And I want to give you encouragement right now that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can know Him right now. The Bible says that, that we are lost and separated from, separated from Christ because of our sin. And that's the bad news. We were born into this world separated from God. The good news is Jesus took your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world on His shoulders when He went to Calvary and paid our price, your price. Paid the penalty for the sins that we could not pay. And when He said it is finished, He gave us victorious words. He told us that our sin debt had been paid. Today, would you receive that free gift by faith? Today, would you be willing to say in your heart, if you've never done it before, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've done things I shouldn't, and I've not done things I should have. And God, I know that 2,000 years ago, you paid the penalty for my sin. You lived the perfect life that I was incapable of. And today, God, I know you died on the cross for me. And I received that free gift by faith today. 
And the Bible says if you say something like that and ask Jesus to be your Savior by faith, forgiving you of your sins, the Bible says that He will. They that call upon the name of the Lord will never be ashamed. And I hope today you do that. If you've done that already, how did this message, how did the life of Joshua speak to you? Are you running from your problems? Are you running from your battles? Or are you going to lock arms with God? God is my banner. And walk down into the valley, trusting in His promises, drawing His power, walking in His presence. That God can use even you and even me to bring about a victory for His namesake. Where are we at today? Are we in the valley? I hope we are. Father, I thank You for Your love. Father, I thank You that You use us. And Lord, I pray for, jo- I pray for our, our, our thoughts about Joshua. That each one of us, Lord, would consider this morning the battles that we're going through. And as a believer, that we would know that we're never going through them alone. And that, Lord, You use those difficult times to change us and to grow us and to increase our faith. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would know what to do. To not give up fighting. To continue to war with the Word of God. To battle with the sword in our hand. And that we'd continue to know where to look. To put our eyes. Keep our eyes on You. Father, I pray for those that have made a decision this morning. Salvation rededication, church membership, baptism, or that there would be no shame in making those decisions public. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you wish to stand this morning, you can.